0: underground studio this is the sipping social podcast my name is mike carl i'm here with my boy and certified bourbon steward garrett turnquist yo we've also got our stellar producer on the mic johnny say what up what up we're here to dive into all aspects of the restaurant industry we truly love what we do and love talking about it we're going to pour sample and review anything you need to know about pour yourself a cocktail and join us on this journey let's Let's go. go All right, welcome, guys! Uh, thanks for joining us today, the Sipping Social Podcast. We got episode number fifty-four today. It's the uh, the Brian Urlacher show. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, a lot thanks, of hair. Thanks, thanks for a lot of hair friends. over here. Hair we, we, should hair
1: have, uh, we should have done something around that. We, <laughs> <laughs> nothing else in the episode is going to be about
0: <laughs> Urlacher. No, That's just the number. Yeah, just the number. Bears are terrible Bears, too. Bears fans, number fifty-four.
2: I don't so. even know. I could name one linebacker on the Bears right now. Morrow. Sure.
0: Number fifty-three. That's all, right. all I got. Um, Hope everybody's having a good holiday season. Hopefully, everybody's uh, being safe but having a good time. Uh, we're reverting back to our episode number one where we were a sports podcast for about 20 minutes. We were talking about all our... Uh, the baseball signings,
2: th- and stuff, all, yeah. all the things we were talking
0: about for like 20 We were like, wait, this is not what we're on here, but very fun. Uh, we got lots uh, to talk about today. We're, sipping, we're sitting in the Underground Social Club right now, studio, and it's badass because the last time the three of us were together and we were... Uh, doing stuff we were not in this spot so
2: i feel like i've been down here in a long time it feels like
0: it's been we've been gone it's good to be home but cheers boys i'm sipping on a little luke Coles from salam salamo
2: me too cheers johnny what do you got johnny what do you
0: got
1: <sighs> i picked up the uh from a couple podcasts ago i don't think we ever reviewed it but they brought it over from noon whistle pickle some in your own size 5.0 uh P- it's a pickle beer yeah i guess so Oh Something boy. to really like ruin my palate before <laughs> we try other <laughs> items <laughs> okay,
0: on the podcast.
2: <laughs> he said he's going up for Coors Light and comes out with a pickle beer.
0: Yeah, he did say Coors oh. Light. Oh, it's gonna be terrible. Oh
1: yeah, first sip is it's D- like delicious. Pickle, it's just pickle juice, pretty much. <laughs>
2: it's
0: good for cramps, leg like
2: cramps. Do you wanna? Do you want like a like a neat Jameson pour right now? So get, you, you can chase. have this can.
1: No, you know what I have that I am gonna sip on that I wanted oh to sip man, on. Oh man, that's gonna go that you well. You brought a tiny little beer, precious little vial.
2: It's a two-ounce Boston round. is a November
1: nutfold. 7th, 1991 Blanton's Pour. Yeah. Nice one-ounce pour. Way to come
0: through. That's dope. That's,
2: not, I, that's very it's cool. W- as soon as I got, I got it in like a, like a mini trade, and as soon as I got it, I was like, well, one, I have to try it, and two, Johnny needs some of this, too.
0: Always thinking of your boy. Yeah.
2: Love it. Thanks, Garrett. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, what did you bring for whiskey for us to drink on this, on this episode?
2: Uh, we're doing a single-barrel pick that I did from Town Branch. Perfect. Lovely,
0: lovely. Uh, looking forward to trying that. Um, G- Garrett's got a breathing right now, like he likes to do. We're not doing beer this week, um, mainly because we Hot want leaf. hop leaf is the is the is the beer part, you know. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this guy talk. I feel like we could have interviewed this guy for another two hours, and that would have been the tip of the iceberg for like his knowledge and information. But we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, customer of the week is um, one of Garrett's favorites.
2: They're the worst. <laughs> You want to say the, what it is? or you wanna, It's the person who asks for something that's like kind of weird and you've never heard it before.
0: The word the term I would use is outrageous.
2: Yeah, outrageous is probably right. And uh, and then they, they finish the sentence with, or they start the conversation with, they've done this for me before.
0: <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is, you know it's going to be a good yeah. one. So yeah. we're going to talk about that a little bit in a, in a little bit. So Hop Leaf was opened in 1992. It's the original craft beer bar in Chicago. They were serving craft beer before there was even a term, which is wild. Which is wild. Like one of the cool things he was doing is he was bringing up breweries from Chicago that were in the '90s. Granted, I was 16 at that time, so it wasn't like craft beer was on my. I didn't have. I think I had Coors Light. When I, was I was in 18. elementary school. Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: Like so. Like I, Chase tasted a Mad Dog and said, "I'm never drinking beer in my life." I wasn't even born yet. And here I am. <laughs> you weren't even born yet. <laughs>
0: So this guy was he was really cool to sit down and talk to um, he's his pl- establishment is legendary in the craft beer world
2: and anyone in like the like who knows about restaurants or knows about beer in general or alcohol they, they know this place like yeah. it's a it's a must stop
0: here's the address 5148 North Clark Street Chicago Illinois if you're in that neighborhood it's a must stop Definitely enjoy this listen.
1: Um, he yeah. tells us some pretty cool things about how he started the place to its current state. So. Yeah.
2: I think my favorite cool. part is when he listed off the beers he had on tap the first day he opened. Yeah. And yeah. every brewery was like, what? Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they Like not even open anymore. Like, yeah. But he remembered
0: it. I know. Yeah. Great memory. So enjoy this interview. Uh, I, I love to send down with them, and I ho- hopefully we can do it again, to be honest with you. So we'll, uh, we'll see you on the back end of it. This is a first for the Sipping Social podcast. Uh, this is an epic day for us. We are sitting on uh, the second level at Hop Leaf Bar in Chicago on Clark Street with the owner and purveyor Michael. Thanks for joining us, man.
3: Thanks for uh, for having me.
0: It's uh it's Wednesday at, at almost noon, and we're uh, we're sipping on De- a delicious Yever, which is a uh, German style pils. Is
3: it German pils. It's from the north of Germany. It's a little bit drier than most German pilsners. Um, It's a beer that right now is kind of balling out of here.
1: Cool. This is pretty refreshing at 11.34 in the morning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think Michael made a good decision about getting something light and crisp uh, to to send us on a great day. Uh, Like I said, uh, thanks for joining us, Michael. Man, this is super special for us. Um, Tell us a little bit about your journey and talking to you before we sat down. You said you were a waiter uh, in 1972 in Chicago. That's how you started your route? I actually
3: started in Detroit. I worked in bars in Detroit for 10 years. Came to Chicago in 1982. Uh, worked at some bars here. The first few years I was in Chicago, I was like shopping around. I was just looking like, is there a forgotten corner of Chicago where there is a little bar that has potential that nobody else sees that I can afford? Nice. And uh, it took quite a while because uh, coming from Detroit, I had sticker shock, you know, because um, all you know, real estate. Uh, Business, rent, everything was way, way more expensive here. And so, um, you know, my path got uh, delayed a little bit. Um, but then I found this little sleepy place uh, that was the old, it's kind of what they call a slashy here, you know, a little uh, liquor store with a tap room, uh, not busy at all and not in good shape. And uh, it was what became Hopleaf. Um, you know, it was very inexpensive. It had a uh, a long lease at uh, $600 a month. Um, yeah, I'm in for that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it was a wreck. I mean, it was really ugly. No one would want to come here. But I could see that the neighborhood had potential, even as sleepy as it was at that time. I mean, now Andersonville, you know, uh, Edgewater, these are neighborhoods that are... You know really hot 30 years ago that was not the case but um, you know uh, we picked it up we bought the bar we signed the lease and um, we spent the next few months sort of gutting it out and making the downstairs bar still kind of looks like it did when we were done with that remodel back in 92 and we had what then seemed like a lot of beers we had Eight draft lines. Wow. And none of them were Bud, Miller, old style, things like that. Um, And we had a large selection. I think we had about 50 beers and bottles. We did some other kind of quirky things at the time. We decided, you know, I don't want to be a sports bar, so we're not going to have any TVs, you know? Yeah. And we're, you you know, we're not going to be a bar that sells better beers but still feels that we have to carry... Bud Miller, Coors, Old Style, whatever. So we said, we're only going to sell beer that we're really proud of and that we really like. And we're going to carry some better wines, and we're going to carry some nice spirits. And in a sleepy residential neighborhood like this, that was really different. This bar, like all the other bars in the neighborhood, uh, and all across the country, really, in the 1960s and 70s, urban bars um, covered their windows up. Um, they all became sort of, if it was like a white ethnic neighborhood, it was a thing to you know, like make the place almost look like a private club and not that welcoming to outsiders or newcomers to the neighborhood. And uh, this was one of those places. Mm. So one of the things, you know, first things we did is Completely opened the storefront, you know, all glass, and some of the old timers immediately left, never came back again. Really, um, they just didn't like that, and and also this place, the prior place that was here, um, there was a lot of gambling. There were uh, the whole north wall was <laughs> the whole north wall was poker machines. Really, and there was always a crap game going on at the bar. Um, they. Uh, bookies came in, um, took racetrack bets and stuff. Wow. That was, that was the draw to the place. And, you know, obviously that was something we did not continue. <laughs> Another tradition that they had here is that they had a VCR and a TV built into the West Wall. And every day at noon they played a porno movie. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of this place? So it was called Clark Foster Liquors. <laughs> okay. And so this guy from some video store would come in, take yesterday's, take six dollars, and drop off another one. These were videos that had no, um, you know, no name to the movie, nothing, just a blank bootleg tape. And this stuff was like really, really foul stuff. (laughs) And so you know, you got
2: to like dig into deep into like we've already shown the regular ones. (laughs) What other weird stuff can I pull out?
3: so you know like okay we had uh you know like five poker machines we had crap games going on all the time we had the porno movies we had you know really bad beer Uh, the wine selection here mostly was we had uh, a Boone's farm we had Mm. uh, orange smash night train classy Uh, you know so all that stuff went away and so you know the previous clientele nearly all of them said like I don't know what this guy's doing you know it's like he's (laughs) wrecking this place and then I told the guys that own the uh, poker machines that they had to take them out and after they took them out these like Serbian gangster guys came in and said (laughs) like you know we heard you're taking the machines out you know like (laughs) like whose machines are you putting in because they didn't want us to put anybody else and I said I said, you know, we're not going to have poker machines anymore. And the guy goes, "What? You know, no poker machines?" <laughs> and I said, "No, no more, no more poker machines." And he goes, "Oh, you make gay bar." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Yeah, no, that's why I'm making a gay bar." So it's like, and then he went away. He didn't have any problem with it. If I had told him that I was taking some other guy's uh, you, poker you machines, you would have been
0: in uh, rough shape after they that. They
3: probably would have smashed all the windows out and yeah. burned the place down. Yeah. But you know, so we got past the you know the old days here. And I have to say, uh, we were successful really fast. And, nice. and um, at that point, we did not have any real food here. I mean, we microwaved some stuff and, you know, we didn't have a real kitchen. It was all, it was just a drinking place. But, you know, my concept was always that I hoped to be able to purchase the building, knock into the apartments in, behind and upstairs and put a real kitchen in and have a menu and stuff. It just took a while to convince the uh, the owner of the building, who actually lived in the space that we are doing this podcast from. This was her apartment, and but I did buy the building in two thousand and did just what I wanted, wanted to do. That's awesome, man. Did she like the fact that you got rid
2: of all the poker machines and the, the pornos at noon?
3: I think you know she actually was part of. She was one of the only female customers they had. I was say. She actually thought I was crazy. I mean, and the old Swede who had owned the bar for like 30 something years, um, he was also very mystified by what I was doing. But, you know, he lived long enough to see our first expansions, uh, the patio, the kitchen, this upstairs room. And every time he came in here, he would just laugh. He goes, why didn't I think of this? You know? <laughs> like, like, you know, he would come in here on a, on a Tuesday night, and there's, you know, 150 people in here. And, like, on a Tuesday night when he had the place, if he had five people in here, it would be a miracle. Yeah. Uh, so he just, he did not see any potential for doing anything else. But to his credit, you know, he he admired it. I mean, he thought, wow, you know, I just, like... I would have never thought of this, and it was kind of cool.
0: So you you guys opened your doors in '92, kind of changed the the surface of the place and the the core of the place of what you guys are going to represent. Um, you know, congratulations on your 30 year anniversary. You guys just celebrated that, right? Yep. Um, this place has always been an iconic craft beer joint. I remember the first time I came in here after a Cubs game, like 15 years ago, with my buddy Tony, and I was just Odd, at the amount of beers that were available and the beers that were available. So um, kind of cool just to hear the background story of how you changed that and got to where you're at now. You were talking about how, how many lines you have right now, as, and you opened with eight.
3: So I have, uh, downstairs we have 62 uh, beer wines, lines, uh, lines. Cow. <laughs> and,
1: yeah. then
3: I, and then I have, I don't think I
1: realized that, oh my God. I have
3: 62 beer lines down there, I have 10 lines in addition that are devoted to wine, and then I have four draft lines up here, so if we do a special event, we can tap some beer up here as well.
0: That's so much beer.
3: It's a lot of beer. Nobody is doing, you know, uh, like the kind of places that were opening 10 years ago that had, like, I have 100 draft lines and stuff. Nobody's doing that anymore. Yeah, you can't, it's hard to sustain something like that. If I was opening today, I would not have 62 draft lines but I'm not going to retire the 62 draft lines I have. I'm going to make it work. There you go.
0: Do you remember any of the beers that were on the original eight lines you opened?
3: So, you know, we always had sort of a reputation of being kind of Belgian-centric. When we opened in 1992, there was only one Belgian beer available on draft in our market, and it was Grimbergen. And it was available here because mysteriously... Grimbergen's national importer was in Wheaton, Illinois,
2: and that doesn't make any sense. I don't, this was dry.
3: (laughs) I don't understand it at all, but you know, we tapped it and, um, you know, it was really exotic. People thought, wow, this is really cool. But we had, you know, there were some, uh, early, of course there was anchor, there was Sierra Nevada, you know, Pilsner, Kell, things like that. Um, we had a neon in the window for uh, New Amsterdam Brewing, which was an early craft beer in New York that, you know, the brewery failed a long time ago. We had the uh, Chicago Brewing Company, which made uh, Big Shoulders Porter, um, and is again long gone. Um, Baderbrow uh, was another local brewery. River West Brewing, uh, Golden Prairie. We had a Golden Prairie neon. Um, <laughs> We had, there was a brewery from Cincinnati called Dusseldorfer, Um, so there was a lot of stuff that, you know, these, the first generation of craft uh, beers that often had um, very creative owners who were, who made good beer but were terrible business people.
1: Mm. I remember like in like the mid to late 90s, maybe early 2000s, I would go out west with my brothers and ski, you know, go to ski towns. And we would always seek out fat tire, that's one of those brands that like yep. never made it here until late. I don't know what year it came here, but two thousand five, maybe yeah, 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 so at that point, there was probably a lot of stuff available, but um it is kind of a unique like how did you even get those beers those first eight beers on draft like you know how did you
3: well, you know uh, Chicago had uh, as far as like getting import beers, Chicago had. Uh, especially like in Lincoln Square, there were all those German bars. I mean, uh, Lachette's was still there, or the Brauhaus. So they, they, they were bringing in German beers, and so those were easy to get. Pilsner Cal had a pretty good... They were part of uh, a national distribution network. Um, the, uh, the early craft beers like Anchor and Sierra had some presence here. They just weren't very successful at finding a lot of accounts. The beer that made a difference to us. The reason that we survived that first two or three years was there was a cult beer uh, at the time, and it was Bell's. So we were one of the first accounts that Bell's had in Illinois. And uh, I'm from Michigan, so I was kind of, you know, very proud of my local beer. And I asked Larry Bell, I said, you know, I think we'd really Make kind of a splash if we put a Bell's neon in the window, and he said, "Well, we don't make neons. We're we're a really small brewery." I said, "Well, if I, you know, scan your logo and have a local neon shop make me uh, a sign, is that okay?" And he said, "Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll even give you a free beer barrel of beer." I put that thing in the window, and people would be riding the Clark Street bus from downtown to Rogers Park and see that in the window and just like pull the cord, get off the bus. Mm. Um, bell, we were selling so much bell 's amber ale, which was then their flagship, and we sold all of their you know they had ten different stouts and bottles we sold it all and that set us apart you know the other big account they had was sheffield's and Sheffield's really built their early business on bell's hmm. so I always you know i 'm forever grateful because i don 't know if we would have filled the seats without them. Um, none of Chicago's beers at that time were going over very well. I mean, everybody kind of thought, well, if it's made in Chicago, it can't be good. <laughs> and, um, you know, Goose Island was the first one to kind of get around that. But, um, and there were import beers available. You could get Pilsner Kell and other places. Um, you know, there were places selling beers like Newcastle and stuff like that. But Bell's was really kind of a special thing that people actually left their neighborhood and sought out a bar that carried it. That's
2: very cool. Yeah, where's that neon now? It's still in the window. Yeah? Oh, nice. Take a picture of that.
0: It's, so what year did you get that put 90, together for 92. Bell's? 92. 92. So that's a 30-year neon that's, that's just rocking.
3: It's really, it's, you know, like, um, you know, you can see some neons in here, um, the neons today don't last very long because they have really terrible transformers that blow out yeah. so when we made the Bell's Neon I had in the basement here uh, neons with a lot of broken glass from Old Style from Bud, from Miller and they were just down there like with a bunch of trash so the guy that did the neon I said you know uh, to save some money can you make use of these old transformers and he said oh yeah and he goes beyond that these transformers from the 1950s never die. You know, they are they're forever transformers. Well, that's what's on that one. And then above the door, that hop leaf sign, that red hop leaf sign, yeah. that has been on 24 hours a day for 30 years with the same transformer. And that transformer oh. is probably 50 years old. Wow. <laughs>
0: that's cool. It's <laughs> really
3: cool. And these new, you see the, you know, these ones in the window now, they're all plastic. And, you know, they're made cheaply in China or Mexico or something. And they just aren't like those old transformers that we used to put in, you know, the big macro brand uh, uh, neons.
0: That's definitely a, a very cool story. I don't
3: think you could buy anything
2: now. That's gonna it's
3: going to last, last that long. Years. That they doesn't... make it so
0: it doesn't last that long, so you have to buy another one. Yeah. Yep. You know. When you guys opened in 92, we were talking about before we st- uh, started recording, there's over 10,000 breweries in, in Illinois, or not in Illinois, in the U.S. right now. What, what, what was the estimated amount of breweries in the U.S. in the, in the 90s that
3: you can think of? You know, I, when I, you know, when I started working in bars in the 70s, there were a total of 70 breweries in the entire country. So I think that by 1992, there might have been a couple hundred. Okay. Uh, so, you know, that exponential growth, it just, you know, and I think in the early days, I said, like, God, I wish there were more breweries, and I wish there were more breweries in Chicago and Illinois. It's like, now it's like, please don't open another brewery. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, I, I can't i can't even scratch the surface, and, and everybody wants to sell their beer here, I keep dropping off samples, and like, please carry our beers. Like, you know, it's like, I, I have 62 draft lines. I have a lot of draft lines, but, you know, we still devote. Um, 15 to 20 of them to the Belgian beers. We have some German beers, Austrian beers, and then we have beers that we, all, I mean, we always have an Allagash line. We always have a Bell's line. We always have you know, there's, there's these lines that yeah. are kind of solid. So the number of lines that we have to rotate in and out these, all these breweries is not huge. I mean, you know, we have maybe 10 or 12 lines that we rotate a lot, and um, you know there's going to be some people that we going to carry their beer more often than others and some that never you know never we're never going to pour.
2: Do you think like this is like the holy grail of like, like oh man we haven't made it until we got a, we got like a, two kegs in it at Hopleaf?
3: Being at Hopleaf and Map Room are very important to a lot of breweries. Yeah. And they if they get their beer in here They are not shy about telling other bars that Hopleaf has got our beer on too (laughs) now. Yeah. Uh, And I think that that, I mean, it's it's a little feather in our cap. It means that there's an understanding that we really curate our beer list and that we really care. And I would say that it goes beyond that. I mean, I have a highly curated bottled wine list. Uh, We, you know... I think that some people say, well, you know, wow, they're carrying that wine. That must mean maybe we should think about it. Um, But I do think it is the holy grail for a lot of people. I do think the map room still has that as well. I mean, there's some other places in the metro area that people feel are influential, uh, that if you get in there, it will uh, influence them as far as what they want to have on their beer list. Um, and so, um, you know, people are relentless in their uh, attempt to get their beer on tap here. And there's a couple breweries that that we've either never or very rarely carry their beer, but they drop off samples every single week. You're on the list. I'm on the list. And it's like, you know, like I, f- I almost feel guilty, you know, it's like, you know it's like, stop bringing me all this beer. We have a we have a uh, sample cooler in the office up on the second floor. And sometimes it's like bulging full. Um, and sometimes we well, I do two things with it. either um, we will let the staff, like the kitchen staff, take some beer home. Cool. But another thing that we do that's kind of cool is that we have a little group of customers who have been coming here, mostly on Mondays and Fridays for almost the entire time we've been here. And um, sometimes I will go down and say, don't order anything. And I will bring a dozen bottles or cans down and take some half-pint glasses and we'll try them all. And, you know, sometimes it's like one of these thumbs up and thumbs down. Sometimes they dump them the second, you know, take one sip. Drain pours. (laughs) <laughs> um, and But sometimes this is a way that we find a brewery, and uh, a great story uh, is uh, a couple summers ago, uh, well, a summer ago, I guess, uh, we were out on the patio with this group, usually they're at the end of the bar, but it was a beautiful day, and I brought a bunch of beer out there, and, and the ones they didn't like, they were just dumping into the garden, and <laughs> And then we had a brewery that nobody had heard of uh, uh, called Art History Brewing from uh, Geneva, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And because the name seemed kind of silly and stuff, we had very low expectations of this brewery. And there were like five styles. And we poured them, and everybody's like, wow, that Czech lager was really awesome. And then this Manchester Mild and all these, you know, like these classic styles. They weren't like weird things. And it's like, everybody loved them. And I'm like, wow, I don't know anything about this brewery. So I went and got my laptop and looked it up and discovered Greg Brown is their head brewer. Oh, Greg. yeah. <laughs> and I go, oh, no wonder I love yeah. this beer. <laughs> Greg's been brewing beer in Chicago for 30 years. He came here from Australia to go to the Siebel Institute. He got a job at a beer store. He was working with Nick Floyd. He was on the ground floor there. He worked at Goose Island. He worked at some suburban brew pubs. And he's always had this reputation. as like, like he's not doing trendy beers. He's never going to make a you know like a mango, hazy, you know, saison. Yeah. Uh, he used to do the beer school at the Map Room once a week. So I immediately contacted them and started bringing their beer in. And then I went out and met with him, and I said, for our 30th anniversary, I want to make a, house, a couple of house beers. People, Breweries have been approaching us for years. Why don't you have a house beer? We'd love to make it. And Greg was all over it. He's like, oh, this is a great honor. I'd really like to do this. And so I said, I want a dark beer. I want a light beer. I want something for uh, drinkable, pretty low ABV for those people that don't want to look at all 62 beers they just want like you know I want a pale beer and I want it to be delicious and and so he did we we our actual um, 30th anniversary day was February 15th we launched both those beers that day and they are our number one and two beers on our list right now it's awesome we've been selling them like crazy and we're so happy with them the the Dark lager is, you know, I, I said, you know, Greg, do you know, you know, Ufleku in Prague, you know, it's this legendary uh, small brewery with a, a beer garden, and they only they they only sell their beer, and they have one light beer and one dark beer, and their dark beer is just phenomenal. And of course, he's familiar with it. I said, that's what I want. <laughs> I, cool. want this, I want something like that. And he just killed. He just, you know, they, we didn't even have to. We did some test batches with the pale beer, but the dark one—the first one he did—I said, "Oh, this is this is fantastic." And what's curious about it is that this summer, even in the 90-degree days of July and August, uh, it outsold the pale beer. Hmm. I mean, it's four and a half percent. It's a refreshing, roasty dark beer, mm. and we're blowing through it. And so. I don't know whether I would have found that, or even you know, I, I mean, eventually they would have knocked on our door, I suppose. But I don't know. They're pretty small. <laughs> it's in just, Geneva. They just built a, a production brewery. Yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, they are small. Maybe they wouldn't, you know, because they're self-distributed. Right. And uh, Tom and Cindy, the owners, who are like kind of like my age, they deliver the beer most of the time themselves. Oh yeah,
0: they do. Garrett lives a couple blocks away from there
2: yeah, in they, Geneva. they were really good customers of mine when we, uh, we opened up our first restaurant, Barrel & Rye. They're so really I've, nice people. I've seen them sober and not sober before. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Very nice people. They're, They're the kind of people that, you know, we, you know, with 10,000 breweries in the United States, um, sometimes it's not only about the liquid, you know, like, I'm not going to want to carry, like, you might make good beer, but if you're a jerk... Yeah. yeah. Uh, or you treat your employees bad or you say bad stuff about, you know, people and you're mm-hmm. like I'm not going to carry beer. But here's this, you know, the the perfect situation. Really nice people, yeah. really good beer. Um and so, you know, we're we're delighted with this whole thing.
0: I got a quick question for you. We're we're sipping on this delicious Javer. Um the glass is awesome because it actually has the logo and Javer yep. on it. Do you have all the glassware for all 62 beers you have on, on, on tap? Well, like the specific ones. We,
3: we have, so we have about 80 different beer glasses here. <laughs> much, to the, <laughs> much to the dismay of our staff. Yeah, uh, Most of them are um, things that we carry in bottles. Now, we don't carry as much bottled beer as we did before the pandemic. We cleaned house during the pandemic. And uh, so we have about 120 beers now in bottles, where at one time we had 400.
2: That's a lot of inventory.
3: Uh, and bottled beer isn't where it's at anymore, and yeah. it's draft. But so, I, you know, if you order an Orval here, it's going to come in an Orval glass. If you order a Triple Carmel, it's coming in a Tribal Carmel glass. Um, not all beers, especially the ones we have on tap, have their own glasses. So we actually have seven different hop leaf glasses that, you know, we have two different kinds of goblets. We have, of course, the Shaker pint. We have a Nonic uh, half pint. Um, so those that don't have their own glass, we like to serve it in a proper glass. And um, it's a little, you know, it's a little wonky for staff. We have a storage building in the back in which I have thousands and thousands of glasses. So say if we, put, if we took Aver off of tap, we're going to box them back up, put them back there, and we'll have them in reserve for the next time we tap it. Um, but I really think uh, I think it's it's a point of difference. Customers absolutely love it. Do they steal these glasses? Sometimes, um, <laughs> of course. Yeah, you
2: got to build that into your uh, everyday cost, right? Cost of yeah, business. Yeah, and,
3: and we sell. So our own glasses, um, we sell them, and I think you know one third of them get stolen, one third of them break, and one third of them get sold. That's and not terrible. That's not terrible. <laughs> Uh, so, um, uh, you know, I, I just, I really like the European tradition of branded glassware. And, uh, I think it's, it is harder. Imagine when you're really, really busy, the bar is just packed and like a server comes up and orders seven different beers that come in seven different glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like they, they want to kill me, you know, it's like. Can't we just have a beer glass? Just got to remind them that they could be making craft cocktails, and that'd be <laughs> way longer. Well, <laughs> and now we're doing some of that, and oh my God, you know, it's like, it, it, it is uh, harder than uh, you know the old days here. You know, I'll tell you what,
2: if I am at a table with seven friends and we all order different beers. I, if it doesn't come up in three minutes, like I'm not upset about that like
3: we get it. Like,
1: is there any kind of like indicator for the staff like on the tap like what glass they have to put it in or they have to memorize everything? So
3: uh, there is actually and um, so we we have a little sticker that we put on the back of the tap handle, which you know indicates what kind of glass it goes in and the price. and uh, because with 62 it's just it is too it's hard. a lot. We try to so like, um, we have state-based limitations, like everybody. So we have like ten Yever glasses, as close as possible to that tap. And of course, we have taps on both in both rooms, and they don't double. You know, so you know, some beers you have to go around to get to them. Um, and then we have some other storage areas for more of them if we need them. Some beer, I mean, I don't need 10 West Mall glasses. I don't need, uh, you know, a lot of some of the more obscure beers. But I think that we try to have at least four of everything here. And then there's more in the garage, well, the the storage room if we need them. Um, But I will say that while it's, you know, popular with customers, it is... It's logistically a little difficult. Also, because the shapes of these glasses are all very different, they don't fit into the standard glass washer tray. So, we have to have one that is not divided. Yeah. So, oh, sometimes they fall over, or they break, and all this stuff, you know. Yikes.
0: I think you could tell the seriousness of a beer joint based on glassware. You know what I mean? I like, I, I've, I've worked at a couple different restaurants that didn't take it seriously at all, and I worked at an Irish pub that was very specific about lots of their beers. And I just, I think that, like you said, the customers love it. It's a point. It's, people notice it. And when you're drinking the beer out of the glass, it actually has a on it. And it helps sell it,
2: too, I think, too. Like you say, oh, look at that weird glass. I've <clears> never <throat> drink out of that. What is that beer? I'll try that. that. You know,
3: like the, the really tall uh, Firestone Walker Pivo Pills glass. It's yeah. a beautiful glass. Every time a tray of those goes out, we sell more of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, it really does work. Because you've got to think, it's expensive for breweries to do that. And even though Illinois law says that we're supposed to pay for all these glasses, um, our go-around is that maybe we'll buy one case, and then keep that receipt, and then we get the okay. next few cases for free. You're in Chicago; There's always walk-arounds. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's. I do too.
0: I think yeah. I think in any restaurant there's potential to walk around yeah. for stuff like that.
3: If you get the wrong liquor inspector, comes oh, in, totally. it's like you know they're like, "What about these coasters here?" You know. It's, <laughs> You know, like, give me a break. But, um, save you know, that, the, we'll I, save that for another podcast. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's that. That's not the the customer of the week. That's the inspector of Dude. the week.
3: Yeah. We just had our, uh, you know, we just had our annual health inspection. And, you know, it's a surprise. And we did very well. Good. And we're very happy. But, Good. oh, my God, my heart sinks when that. Person with the badge comes in. I know nose, like, every oh. time
0: the, the liquor commission doesn't know about the the cooler in the the back with the samples either. Though
2: right? <laughs> no,
3: no, no. You lock that door. <laughs> they don't go in there. They don't even. You know, we have uh, a walk-in freezer in the storage building in the back, and um, the health department. I don't think has rarely um, seen that. You know, not that it matters. I mean, right. it's like 40 below zero. So yeah, but um, you know, it's all these things. Th- these are things that. You know this is like inside baseball here you know it's like yeah all this stuff um we we try to we try to be the best we can we do things like uh, i think having the specialty glassware it's a real plus for us um it's it's kind of a pain in the ass but you know it's yeah. the way it goes and you make it work right yep um
0: anybody who is in andersonville actually anytime you come to chicago if you're looking for craft beer this is the place to come hop leaf on clark street in andersonville uh it's iconic uh it's definitely an institution and uh super special to, for you to take time out of your day to do this with us so That's, thank you
2: it was fun yeah, thanks cool
0: awesome right. hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview uh we had a great time that day uh that dude was awesome um can't wait to go back to hop leaf drink that dark check lager and honestly um whatever german beer he gave us at the beginning um, we talked about it on That was really news. good It was really tasty Yeah <laughs> And he was loving it and they, I'm the, not sure we the can The glassware and everything Was really
2: cool Oh the whole thing About the glassware is cool though, It's really right? cool Yeah um, He was diving deep Also into like a uh, yeah, he, yeah he got excited about that
0: We really appreciate you Michael Thanks for taking time Out of your day to join us Honestly that guy Had never met us before We, we went there After the half acre thing We talked talking about 20
2: minutes <laughs> before we Jumped on <laughs> Yeah Maybe half I, hour Dropped
0: a card We forgot we were even there Got an email from him The next day this really, really nice of him to, to go out of his way for us. So thanks for doing that, man. If you uh, if you're listening, we appreciate you. All right, um, let's drink some whiskey. Yeah. Let's drink some whiskey and get this night going.
2: Two of like the three or four um, major guys for Town Branch live in St. Charles, which is kind of cool. So I've I gotten to know them a little bit, living in Geneva and seeing them like out and about. Um, they are the twelfth distillery on Whiskey Row in Kentucky, and they're definitely by far the smallest. Uh, the other half of their facility does beer. So if you've ever seen any like, um, barrel aged stouts from Kentucky, it's probably from that from that brewery. Um, so this is a bourbon that is a single barrel pick that we did. I picked it about six and a half months ago. And it just showed up maybe two or three weeks ago in November, early November. Um, it's coming in at 109.2 proof. Uh, I guess I could have held that out for Johnny to figure out what the proof is. Well, You're supposed to let Johnny guess but um
0: oh man the sound effects i'm yeah. slacking
1: see i like to take a pause in the middle of the podcast just to hear that yeah.
2: so the, the the one of the inter- two two interesting parts about them is that they are they don't they don't source anything they make everything themselves um and they don't. They're non-chill filtered, which means that they don't cool it down and then run it through filters to like remove like fatty acids or uh, other like flavoring notes to it that like come naturally with the distillation and the barrel age process. And they fill their barrels at a lower proof, so this is technically cast strength at 109 proof. Kind of like, kind of cool. like Maker's does, where they, they put everything at 110. Yeah. Um, kind of the same idea. I tasted nine different samples before picking this one. Um, Even though this, I think it was like the number two sample that I, that we that we drank, so it was like two out of nine. Um, But the, some of the samples were uh, a little bit younger, and a little bit higher proof. So in general, for them, they go the the longer they age, the lower the proof goes. Just how their warehouses work. Did you say how old it is? Yeah, this is I think this is six or seven. I can't remember. I should know this. Uh, It was filled into. The barrel is filled in 2015, so seven years old. Nice. Um,
0: I like the color of it. It looks good.
2: They, they do most of their blending and they average the whiskey out around six years in general for their bourbon and and for the rye. Uh, they find their, their sweet spot is around six. They've been around long enough that they could have older products. They just choose the best, kind of like we do with a pin hook, they say the, the best blend that we want to put out. And then so the town branch does the exact same thing. And they find that around the six year mark is where they hit their sweet spot. Cool, which is which I think is very refreshing, especially for a place that is making their own product and not pushing out sooner than that. Like um, even like Jay Henry, which is like very proud of their own product, and I like that a lot too. They push out at five. They want to wait till the five year. Uh, Other places are shooting out at three and four year. I think it's cool that they they found that they found their little niche and they've gotten really good at their blending. They I think they replaced their blender and master distiller maybe. I think they didn't replace them, or they like revamped how they were going to go about making their product over the past few years. So if you've had this in like 2019 or 2020, and you weren't a big fan, I would say come back and revisit it because I think they have they re, they rechanged the bottle and the whiskey inside is very good. I remember the first time they was like, "Hey Garrett, where you want to try some Town Branch?" Just like a year ago, and I was like, eh, "I've been there. It's fine. And like we've changed a lot. Uh, come try it again." And uh, I, I like it a lot better than I did you know, two or three years ago. Uh, the mash bill is 75 corn, 15% malted barley, and 13% rye, which is uh, a little bit higher malted barley than most bourbon.
0: Cheers. I'm excited to try it. Cheers. little town branch.
2: Right. I've got some tasting notes on it for myself. I'm curious to see what you guys say. I get banana. Okay.
0: I get... You, you got it that
1: quick? Caramel. Banana or or raisin I don't know I had a lot of Well that's better Than the last
2: That's better than the (laughs) last That's better than the last one Where you said You you literally taste the corn No I was
1: taking sips While Garrett
2: was talking
0: Oh you were? Yeah Man, To be prepared That first first sip was
2: I think the the 109 is nice A nice proof Where you get a lot of flavor But not too much bite In the back I think it's got a A relatively short finish But I do think It's like a little bit Of a smoky finish it's,
0: it's smoky, dude. There's like a mesquite, yeah, style. Yeah, not um,
2: peat or like whatever mezcal is. It's it's.
0: I, I get a little bit of peat in there, but not in a bad way. Yeah. it's not it's not like a scotch that's like peated, right? It's but not I, a Freud. No, yeah. but I'm just I'm. It's it's like a smoky bourbon. It's tasty. It's smooth. The reason why I said the first sip was a little rough for me is because the USA beat
2: who who did they beat. Who, Mike?
0: Did, who did they play yesterday? <laughs> Iran. They beat Iran. <laughs> 1-0 <laughs> and I acted like they won the world cup just yeah. so everybody knows. So I I am today's been a long day. I'm really glad we're doing this right now though. On Gibson's day? Or Mike? Oh, yesterday, Johnny. We can go to Gibson's anytime, my friend. The USA only makes the world cup once every 8 years.
2: That might be generous.
0: They they make it every 8. They're usually there. They we didn't make it last time, so they had to beat Iran to. Anyway, Iran to anyway the not a, not a back not a to the sports podcast. Sports <laughs>
2: podcast. So. You know, you know the episode's going great when uh, Garrett's bringing everyone back on the rails. There you go.
0: I love it. That was a, that was just a short one. It's yeah. all good. It's good. Um, Johnny, you want to start us off with you? You got a rating for this?
2: I mean, I picked it. I'm, you're staring right at me.
0: <laughs> it's uh,
2: no, you can, it's you a twelve. Do whatever you want. No,
0: I,
1: I feel like the mouth feels really good on it. It's hot on the first sip, but then the mm-hmm. second sip that kind of smoothens out. I agree with that 100%. Um, at 109, did you just did yeah. you say? 109, It's it doesn't taste like a 109, like a higher proof whiskey to me. Yep. It, it's pretty smooth. I don't know what what I'm getting with the banana or like raisin, but that might be a combination of the two. I get raisin made, for sure. That makes the mesquite or something, but yeah. I, I don't know. I get raisin. I get an interesting taste off of it is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, something that usually I don't
2: taste, but I okay. like it. So, uh, so it's a little different. It's different. Yeah,
1: um, I give it a seven eight. i I give it an eight.
2: Ooh, eight?
0: Yeah, I like it.
2: I'll take it. So what do you uh, What are you gonna do with it? Drink it. Perfect. Cool. Yeah.
0: I think it smells really good. It's got great aroma to it. That's why I'm getting like some caramel and some of the sweeter notes.
2: Yeah, de- the sweeter notes are definitely on the nose. On the nose, not necessarily on the front palate. Yeah,
0: on the palate though, I'm definitely getting a, like a smoked. It's like a smoked bourbon. To me, almost like you wouldn't need to smoke a glass. It, it's already got it in it. It's tasty.
2: Yeah, I'm, but would you say, we, but you don't want to like confuse that with like people thinking that it's like a super smoky, <clears throat> it's just got notes of smoke.
0: Yeah. It's got notes of smoke, notes. but like, here's the thing, like when you're drinking bourbon and we drink enough of it, yeah. obviously, um, I don't get a lot of bourbons that taste like this. It's, it's very unique. Yeah. So that's why, to me, I think it's registering a little bit more potent because it it just doesn't
2: would you say it's higher it's higher or less smoke than like the um, high west campfire?
0: Ooh, I haven't had that in a long time. I think um, it's less. It's less personally for me. I haven't had that in a long time. I'd have to revisit it. But it, it, it's it's really tasty, dude. It's and it's smooth. Um what I, do you got? I I'm giving it a seven uh five. Ooh. Seven,
2: five. Uh I'm gonna give this an eight and a half. I think it's I think I like it a lot because it's about two years older than or one and a half years older than they, the normal stuff they put out. I think it's way different than their average bourbon that they put out too, which I think is the most important part about getting a single barrel pick from a restaurant or a, or a or a store. Um yeah, and I'm I've already gifted three bottles. Uh this is the fourth bottle I'm gifting to the to the bar down here. Bam. And I got one at home and I and I can't wait to pour it for someone who hasn't tried it yet.
0: Awesome. Well, cheers. Cheers to that, Garrett. I think you did a really good job with it, man. Thanks. Cheers, I man. hope you don't think that my 7.5 is, is light. Um, Listen, or, if, I, light. if I
2: if if I I only picked barrels that I think that you would like, then we have... What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not my job. Yeah. All right, let's get into our customer of the week. My favorite part of, of these customers are is if they preface their order, and they say, just so you know, they've done this for me before. You, you know what... Whatever about to come out of their mouth is going to piss you off. No, you, so you, need, to turn, just you like, need to
2: turn around and go grab a pad of paper and a pen because yeah, it's going to be gonna multiple be there, notes. You're going to be there for a while. You're not memorizing yeah, this.
0: You're going to be for a, for a while. So it's funny when people say that because you're like, "What? why do you have to say that if we've done that for you before? Yeah. Like, it should just be known.
2: Yeah, or like, uh, this is going to be a complicated order, just so you know. Also, I love that phrase, just so you know. Yeah, that's a good it, It's like a backhanded slap to the face. Just so you know. They've done this before. <laughs> like, 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 already they're telling me that I can't argue against what they're asking for. Like, you can do this. I know you can. Well. Go ring it in.
1: There's different, like, you know, there's the the back end of that and the front end of that.
2: Yeah, so I think in the beginning so is worse. So ask, yeah, is it worse way in the front worse. or is it worse in the back? Way end? worse in the beginning. Way worse,
0: yeah, way worse in the beginning.
2: Yeah, because <laughs> now you're already like, screw this. <laughs> <laughs> screw this person. Yeah, yeah. The, we have a menu for a reason. Yeah. And well, then, but on the but you
1: don't you don't hate the back end where it's like okay well they've done this for me before. No, the
2: back end is like <laughs> no, it it changes my mind a little bit. So like, I want uh, the salad with, you know like, the ends of the lettuce chopped off and the crazy the craziest thing you could possibly think of. They've also done this before before. So now I'm thinking like all right, who said yes to this, and if now if I go back to the kitchen and ask for it, they're not going to be too surprised. <laughs> Because maybe they've already got this request before, so they kind of know what they're getting themselves into. They may not like it, but the beginning is up in the beginning. The, the beginning is like it could be anything, or the like, back
1: end sk- after like everything's done.
2: Yeah. And yeah, and you it doesn't
1: like the snarky like
2: the face is always the same when they tell you they've done this before. Like like you're an idiot. The face is always the same, and you you always read that that face wrong. It's just not like ugh, I don't I don't actually want to try for you, but you kind of have to a little you have bit. To. It's, it's the job, um, and if you can do something for them, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, and you're, you're there to take care of people, right? Right. I mean, that's the point. You're not just an order taker. Yeah, you're there to make the experience good, and 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 if they did it before, so no, I also have run into situations where people said that before, and they've they've not done that before.
0: Oh yeah, of course. Like
2: They're just trying to make you. Seem like you you should be able to do it. The
0: the time that I know people are lying to me is when the adults try to order off the kids menu. Oh yeah, because we make it a major point that that's not going to happen. Right. If it's like a fifteen year old and he's with his family and it's one and all his other kid uh, uh, siblings are twelve and under. Yeah. Great. Fine. But an adult. D- yeah. can, does not need to order off the kids menu when they're on date night. They're like I have a kid's cheeseburger with fries. They've done this before me before. I'm like, no, they haven't. no nah. 100%. a dinner stack with no, I'm, with I'm no like, aioli. I, got, I got the, I got a version of that for you, but you're not paying eight bucks. Right. I'm like, That's not gonna happen. That's a, just a poor business model.
2: Anyway, uh, screw those people.
0: They suck. Thanks for joining us, guys. Be good to each other and uh, definitely come by social and see me sometime soon. Mention the podcast. I'm gonna buy you a pint or pour or something. So. Come on by. Let's, let's chat it up. We want to hear uh, what you like about it, and uh, we'll go from there. Love you. First of all, we'd like to thank our listeners, our families, and friends that support us. We couldn't do this without you. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Tell your friends about us. Big thanks to our producer, Johnny, in the Underground Studio. Also, a shout out to Johnny Perona and Davenport Ed. That's the rockin' music you're hearing in the background. Thanks again, and we look forward to the next cocktail with you.